they do. And if they encourage and inspire you in your faith, if you will please say amen. I want to start off tonight by telling you a little story. Some of you have heard this story. When I proposed to Christy uh, back in, I guess it was, I can't remember, 2003? 2003, that's what it was. I moved, I immediately left the state, moved down to Texas, and a few months later, she joined me in Athens, Texas, and so I moved out so she, so she could move in and get the place ready. So for a few months, I was homeless, and uh, one of the elders in the church there was very generous to let me stay in one of his little cabins. Uh, they gave me instructions, um, directions on how to find this little cabin, and uh, they said, what you want to do is you're going to get onto our property, and you're going to go down the driveway, and you're going to take the first dirt road, and you're going to go through some trees, and right after that, it's going to look like you're going the wrong way, but you're really going the right way. Just keep going, and you're going to see the cabin on the other side. You're home free. So I pulled onto the property, and I took what, what I believed to be the first left onto the dirt road. I went through the trees, and I came to this big pond, and there was an embankment on this pond. It was sand, and I thought to myself, this looks like the wrong way to go. So I knew I was going in the right direction. So I proceeded over that embankment, and about a minute later, I found myself on the opposite side of the embankment of the pond at a 45-degree angle, stuck in sand. And the thought that came to my head was, this is how it all ends, right here, right now. Somehow I was able to get out of the car, and I looked back at my car, I was like, how in the world am I going to get this car out of, the, out of this dirt, out of this sand? Thankfully... I had a cell phone. I had just purchased my first cell phone at 26. Some kids are shocked. Can't believe life without cell phone. My first cell phone at 26, and I made one phone call. And within minutes, there was a man in the church that was right there. He had a truck. He had an electric cable on that truck. He attached it to my car, and he pulled me right out. And I got back in my car, and I got back on track. And I found my new home. This is the context that brings us together in life, even tonight. The set of circumstances and facts that surround our situation, even our redemption. Let's connect the dots. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, verse 25, You were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and put their fear and their trust in the Lord. The Apostle Paul is on the wrong road in life, literally. He's on the road to Damascus, and once again, he's persecuting Christians. He's trying to stomp out the faith in Jesus Christ. Great light appears to him. He hears the voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He goes into Damascus, and God sends Ananias to lay his hands on Saul's eyes so that he can receive his sight. And Ananias says this, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. This same Paul in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, if you want to read along with me, this is what 
he would later say as the Apostle Paul. In verse 3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and also hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That is our context. And context matters. One of the best male actors that has ever lived, Bill Murray, I know most of you will agree out there, those of you who are of my generation or older. 1997 came out with a movie called The Man Who Knew Too Little. And uh, Bill Murray is Wally, and he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. He hasn't had a very successful career by the world's standards. His younger brother has, though. His younger brother is over in, in London, England, and he surprises his younger brother on his birthday. Lands in London, England, goes to his house, and his brother is so happy to see him. This is fantastic. Oh, wait, no, it's not fantastic. I have a very important business meeting tonight in my house. I'm going to have to find other arrangements. You see, he's not all that proud of his younger brother. doesn't want him to be in this particular context. He might say something, do something really stupid, and then it's going to really mess things up. So I've got to find something else for you to do. I've got an idea. Why don't you, you've always enjoyed acting, not that you were any good at it. Why don't I take you to an interactive theater, drop you off, and you're a part of this crime drama. It's improv. It's something that you'd be passionate about, you'd enjoy. So he gets him dropped off at this improv theater where he's going to be a part of this crime drama. He goes to the phone booth where this crime drama is going to start, and he takes the call. But the thing is, someone makes a phone call to this phone booth asking for the hitman, a real hitman. And so Bill Murray becomes, a, a, Wally becomes a part of this real crime drama. He thinks throughout the entire movie that this is just a, a fake drama setup. You know, this is just a bunch of acting, but he's in a real crime situation. He's being thought of as a hitman all throughout this movie. He never gets the context of what's going on. There's actually a, one of the great scenes in this movie. He, um, he's being mugged in an alley, in an alleyway. And these, these muggers walk up to him with a knife, and, and they say, give us your wallet. We want your wallet. And so he, he acts all bold and confident. He doesn't think it's real. It's not a real knife. This is not a real thing. He acts all bold and confident. He says, hold on just one second. He steps back, and then he steps back forward again and says, let me try that again. He starts weeping and just begging for his life. And these guys are like, now what is wrong with this guy? This guy is absolutely nuts. You see, context matters. Knowing your context matters. When I was in college... I was with some friends to a movie, uh, a war movie, and I thought going into it that it was a movie about Vietnam, the Vietnam War. I was running late, so I walked in, and I missed that part at the beginning, that important sub subtitle that said Normandy Beach. I missed that. And so all throughout the movie, I'm thinking to myself, I don't remember this. What in the world were we doing fighting the Germans in Vietnam? I don't remember that. You see, context really does matter. And throughout Scripture, God continually calls us as his people to refocus on our larger context of life, our spiritual context of life. Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand 
against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, our main struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That, Paul says, is our big context. Peter says, be self-controlled, be alert, because your enemy, the devil, goes around prowling like a roaring, roaring lion, looking for whom he can devour. That is our context. And growing up in Africa, I know a little bit about lions. I know not to mess with them. I know to have a respect for lions. But living in a city in Africa, I wasn't always around lions every single day. See, my biggest issue that I had was I was around spiders every single day. And these spiders weren't just the little spiders. These were spiders that were almost as big as your face. And so wherever I, wherever I went, I was very conscious that there could be a big spider. I have arachnophobia. I was very conscious that there could be a spider. If I walked into a room, I would walk in and I would immediately look at the corners. That's where they usually were of the room to see my surroundings. People were like, what in the world are you looking at? I'd be like, I'm not looking at anything. I was aware that they could be anywhere. I was conscious of that. And Paul says you need to be conscious of your context that we are in a spiritual war here. Be aware of that. In Revelation chapter 12, Satan is pictured as a dragon. And this dragon cannot stop God's purposes. And so what he does as he is filled with fury is he goes after the only thing he can. He goes after God's people to discourage them, to bring them down, to try and pull them away from their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he does. He's pictured as a thief. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I come that they might have life and have it to the full. I've been mistaken as a thief before. I've never been a thief. When I was 17 years old, I had this really cool black jean jacket I was very proud of. Uh, somehow, after I, I got married, it disappeared from my wardrobe. I don't know what happened to it. It just vanished one day. But it was a cool jean jacket. I don't think it fit too snug the older I got, but it was cool. I had a black beanie, and I was walking down the road, this, this black jacket, black beanie cap on. It was cold, you know, and I just happened to be wearing black. I look over, and there's a cop next to me, and he opens his door, and he says, Get in the car, please. I get in. I close the door. I look over at him. First words out of his mouth. Are you a thief? Of course, if I was a good thief, I would automatically just confess and, you know, every, everything I've ever robbed. But I said, no, sir, I'm not a thief. And by the way, why do you ask? He said, oh, because you look like a thief. You see, Satan is a thief, but his thievery as a thief is not as obvious. The Bible says that he masquerades as an angel of light. He is a master schemer to lead us astray. He is a master strategizer to disarm us, to keep you and I from being effective and productive in our faith in Jesus Christ. He wants to keep us weak. He wants to get us disarmed in our faith, faith so we will not make an impact. Brothers and sisters, our context is spiritual warfare. There is more to life than just meets the eye. As I start to close down with the biblical example, the king of Aram wants to destroy Israel. And so he tries different ways to do that. And every time 
The king of Aram can tell Israel knew what I was planning to do. What's going on? Someone is turning, someone within my army is turning their back on me. They're going and giving my secrets away. And they say, no, sir, not the case. You see, there's this man, prophet Elisha. Anything you whisper, he knows in your bedroom. He knows about it. So the king says, oh, that's who I've got to take care of. So he gathers his mighty force against this one man, chariots, horsemen. They march all night, and they go to the city where Elisha's at. They surround the city. The next morning, the servant of Elisha steps out, and he sees, he looks around, he sees this great force, this great army surrounding them. He says, oh, Lord, what can we do? And I just picture Elisha just calmly walking out, getting down by the fire. God opened his eyes. That he can see. Don't worry about them, my servant, because the one who is greater is with us. We have more power than they have power. And the Bible says that God opens his servant's eyes and he sees, he looks around, he sees the chariots of fire and the horsemen all the way around the city. There is a larger, greater context that meets the eye. It's the call of God to see the larger context in life. Primarily to refocus your life on Jesus Christ. To put your focus on Him. It's a timeless lesson that is always timely. And this is some ways that it helps. When you refocus your life on Jesus Christ and your greater context around you, doesn't it change your priorities? You seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. You see, some things just aren't as important in life as the value that you and I place on them. You make your own list. I've made mine. Some things aren't quite as important, are they? When you really look at the larger context of life that we put on them day after day, you get your priorities straight when you refocus. You change your perspective. Placed on the scales of eternity, the challenges of this life are light. And they're momentary. Paul, who has great and extensive trials in his life, said, we fix our eyes Not on what is seen, not on that context, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen, this is eternal. Refocusing your life on Jesus Christ day after day, lastly, does this. It changes how you look at people. It changes how you look at people. You start to see people through God's eyes. And let me tell you, people matter. And people are hurting. And people are spiritually wounded. Look around. People need encouragement. And we need to get them help and get them to the one who can help them and the only one who can save them. One author puts it well. The context of Christianity is more than just coffee and and potlucks and being nice. And all those things are important. He says, We are at war. And we need to remember the greater context of what's around us. Because it will change those things. It will change our priorities. It will change our perspectives. It will change how we look at people. And Paul said, you need to make the most of every opportunity when it comes to being used by God to make an impact in this world. Make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the larger context 
Because the days are evil. Because the window of opportunities are small, and we've got to take advantage of the opportunities that we have. We've got to think of our lives as the context of warfare and refocus our life on Jesus Christ and the mission that he has for us in this world. It's always time to refocus. Tonight we're going to offer an invitation. Our shepherds will be up here. And that's why we come together, don't we? We come together, one of the reasons, is to help us refocus. Wherever you're at in your journey, we're here to encourage each other. The shepherds are here to pray with you. If you want to give your life to Christ in baptism, that opportunity is here. Make the most of every opportunity while we stand and while we sing.